Hello, everyone, and welcome to Topics in Faith, part of the In Faith series of podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Didek, and this week we're having dinner with Jesus. It's not a formal affair, though it might be the most important meal of your life. Let's have a seat. So real quick before we begin, and I'll mention again at the end of the episode, this is probably going to be our last episode of this season, and we're going to take a little bit of a break after this. So for this one, what I wanted to do is take a look at dinner. And the reason being is that so many times, anytime a Christian starts talking about sin and things that we shouldn't do and things like that, things around that topic, a lot of times people will feel the need to remind us or remind those people that Jesus ate with sinners, which is true. He did. But have you ever wondered what having dinner with Jesus would be like? What would it be like to be a sinner sitting at the table with Jesus having dinner? What might it look like for you or for, you know, whoever it is? Well, fortunately, the Gospels record a number of times that Jesus sat at a table and ate food with various people. And we're going to take a look today at five of the times that the Gospels record Jesus sitting down for a meal. Now, we're not looking at all the times Jesus was eating or, you know, he or his disciples were eating, but specifically when they were sitting down to have dinner with a group of people. We're going to dive right in. The first one we can find in Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. It says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So one of our classic examples here, Jesus is snubbing the supposed religious leaders as he eats with people that the religious leaders would say you should not sit down and eat with, should not spend time around. But... Notice what Jesus says, though. And this is going to be kind of a, the theme throughout this whole thing. Going to spoil it a little bit here. But he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. What's the point of a sick person going to the doctor? The point is to get healthy. That's why it is the sick that need the doctor and not the healthy. The healthy don't go to the doctor because they don't need to be made healthy again. They already are. So what's the analogy he's drawing here? Actually, not just that you eat with tax collectors and sinners but it's because they need to become healthy again. Let's jump to the next one. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 39, and then verses 44 and 47. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jumping to 44. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I come into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 47. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. So here, Jesus went to dinner with someone who's supposedly religious and righteous and had everything in order, and a sinner comes into the dinner and begins to tend to Jesus. Now, in the story, 
he says to Simon, who is the Pharisee, he says, I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And there's a couple other things he said in this, in these several verses about the way he was treated by Simon. And the point being that though this Pharisee invited Jesus to dinner, it was not in order to give him a meal. Because you see, he says, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. So he knew who Jesus claimed to be, but brought him in there to scoff at him, to prove to himself that Jesus was nothing special. And so he didn't take care of Jesus the way that you would take care of a normal visitor to your home at that time, where you would have servants wash their feet. You're supposed to give them oil, I think, for their hair, or for the, you know, to kind of basically let them get the dust of the world off of them. There are things you're supposed to do to welcome a guest into your house that Simon did not do because he felt like he was already forgiven. Here was Jesus coming along, preaching this new gospel, as it were, you know, explaining the kingdom of heaven in ways that Simon didn't agree with. And he thought, well, this guy isn't actually anything. And I'll invite him to dinner to be able to sit there and feel good about myself by scoffing at this man who claims to be all these things, but I know he's actually not. And as soon as the opportunity arises, and so here again, the sinner is shown favor because she comes in and does all the things that Simon was supposed to do, showing that she had already repented of her sinful life. Because Jesus says, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. So she already showed her love for Jesus because she knew she'd been forgiven because of who Jesus said he was. So she believed in Jesus when Simon did not. Next, we're jumping to Luke 14, verses 1 through 4, and then 7 through 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Verse 7, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So here, Jesus is using the dinner and some of the things happening around the dinner to teach to instruct them in the ways of the kingdom of heaven, ways of living humbly and positioning yourself to receive rewards from heaven and not rewards here on earth. But it's still not just a dinner of acceptance, a dinner of just eating, although that is obviously happening, but it's also a dinner of teaching. Similarly, Luke 19 verses 1 through 10, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. 
But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now we don't see here what Jesus said. We hear with the people, how the people complained about Zacchaeus. But for Zacchaeus to have the response of repentance that he did, that he's first going to give half of his possessions to the poor, and then over and above that, whatever he had cheated of anyone, he was going to give them back four times the amount. Now, the law at this point, the law of Moses only required two times the amount. In Exodus 22, the law of Moses says that if someone steals an ox or a sheep, if he kills it or sells it so he doesn't have it in his possession anymore, he has to pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. But if he still has it, if the stolen animal is found alive in his possessions, whether ox or donkey or sheep, he must pay back double. So here it's interesting that Zacchaeus may have really only been on the hook for two times the amount of money he had taken, since he still had the money in his possession. But because of whatever it was with his encounter with Jesus, he decided to double that, to pay back four times the amount he had stolen. So again, you know, we don't have recorded here if Jesus said anything specifically during the meal, or if it was just because of Zacchaeus knew who Jesus was, or what was going on. But the point still remains that Zacchaeus repented of what he had done wrong to the point that he made restitution. I mean, compare this to the rich young ruler who felt like he had obeyed the law since he was a youth. And Jesus said, well, sell everything you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. And he didn't, he wasn't able to do it. Here Zacchaeus gives half of what he owns to the poor. So he turns his back on all the riches that he had spent so long acquiring, gives a full half of it just to the poor in general. And then the specific people that he cheated, he would find them and give them back four times the amount that he had stolen, which was double what the law seems to require. That is one heck of a repentance. How many things when we come to Jesus and ask him to come into our lives and say we repent of our sins, how many of us have gone back or tried to go back and actually make restitution for the things that we had done wrong? That's a pretty powerful encounter with Jesus right there. And then our last one for today, John chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Now, obviously, we don't have time. John is interesting in that the Last Supper, I think, begins in chapter 14 of 21. So a full third of that gospel is spent at the Last Supper and beyond, where most of the other books, that's like the last two or three or four chapters of the book. And so obviously, we're not going to go and read seven whole chapters of Jesus sitting down at the table with his disciples on the Last Supper, but there are many, many teachings and parables that he gives them during that time. And they're not all seven aren't just there. There's there are a couple chapters of his crucifixion and everything. But it's a long example of Jesus at dinner 
and he is teaching. This is the common theme. (laughs) While we are not supposed to necessarily withdraw from people we would call sinners, because Paul talks about even when he said to refrain from eating with people, he did not mean the people of the world, because then we'd have to withdraw from the world entirely. But he meant people who claim to be a brother or sister in Christ and sin withdraw from those people, not the people of the world. So yes, it is accurate to remind us, to remind Christians when they don't want to spend time with someone who's a sinner, to remind them of all the times that Jesus did. But it's also fair to remember that the point was not to make that person feel as though they were fine just the way they were. In every example of dinners we find in the New Testament that I could go through, Jesus is always teaching, people are always repenting, turning from their sins, turning away from the life that they lived, recognizing the forgiveness for those sins, which means you have to recognize your sins to begin with to realize that you're forgiven of them. Because if you don't think it's a sin, then you don't need to be forgiven. And a couple of the times, it seemed very much in response to things that Jesus would be saying. So sure, go have dinner with people who don't believe, but also talk to them about Jesus, talk to them about eternal life, talk to them about the gospel. And I saw this on um, Instagram. It was probably originally on TikTok, but I only see things once they hit Instagram. Whereas an interesting sort of theoretical question put forth is that imagine you had the opportunity to preach the gospel to everyone from the World Trade Center on September 10th. What's the gospel that you would tell them if you knew it was going to happen? Because so often today the gospel is God loves you. He has a plan for your life. He has a life ahead of you full of joy and doing things and receiving things, you're not going to preach that to them because you know that tomorrow, September 11th, is going to happen. Some of them are going to survive, but very, very few. So what gospel would you preach to them then? Because at that point, the gospel of God has a plan for your life is kind of null and void. And we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So it was a really, I think, a really good question, a really good frame of mind for us to be in when we think about what is the gospel that we preach What is it that we're going to tell people about Jesus, about the kingdom of heaven, if we were to have dinner with them tomorrow and we don't know how long they're going to be around? If they were going to get into a car accident and die tomorrow, is it really going to matter to say God has a plan for your life when their life is 24 hours away from being over? Or what is the actual gospel then in that case? The actual gospel is salvation from your sins. Because the gospel, according to Paul, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We talked about that in an earlier episode. Those things accomplish freedom from your sins, forgiveness for them, and freedom from continuing to sin, continuing to be a slave to sin, which we've also looked at before. That's the gospel. And that's, I believe, what we should be talking to people. If we're going to go to dinner with them, which we should, it needs to be very sort of intentional and not wasting everyone's time. So yes to both. That's going to be it for this week. And probably for the next, tell you what, guys, um, let's just do two weeks off. So it'll be three weeks before the episode comes out because I actually have to write it and record it and everything. So this will just be a mini vacation. So let's say instead of two whole months, next episode will be out on July 30th. May or may not be a new season. Probably won't be enough time to, to generate a whole new season in that amount of time. So look forward to Topics in Faith returning after a two-week hiatus, two weeks vacation, um, just sort of rest and recharge a little bit maybe and get maybe a new batch of topics will come to mind. So we'll see. 
Until then, keep the faith and keep it fresh. Bye.